Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Welcome, everyone, to episode 41. We have Omar Rosen, a financial investor and a contestant on Israeli Survivor. Omar began working in finance on Wall Street and during the global financial crisis moved to work in Israel, followed by Australia and South America. There, he discovered ayahuasca and meditation, which paved his way to practice minimalism, spirituality, consciousness, exploration, and traveling. He was one of the most loved survivors on the Israeli Survivor reality show. Omar Rosen! Thank you for joining me on 20 Minute Leaders. Well, thank you for having me, mate. Ah, uh, this is so great. So you're calling from Berlin. I am calling from Berlin. That's correct. Yep. Berlin, Berlin. But you're actually, you love traveling around the world, Bali, uh, all over the place, right? So as I look at the country, I see the value proposition. The value proposition is what you get divided by the price. So for <laughs> example, New York, you get a 10, but you pay a 10. Tel Aviv, you get a 10, you pay a 10. Berlin. You pay a four, you get an eight. Ah. Bali, which is another favorite place of mine to live. It's, you know, you pay a three and you get a nine. So, Okay. When did this all start? When, because, you know, you're, you're in finance, you were in Wall Street, you know, Fordham, Columbia. How did you go find yourself in so, Bali? So, we're, so, we're, so we're, let, let's, uh, I'll cut the boring part of my education and stuff like that. But, you know, after my studies, I went to work in Wall Street. And then my career took me to Australia, to Israel, to South America for tax purposes. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then eventually what happened is that around 2015, I was cast into the Survivor in Israel, which was conducted in Honduras, which was a very good experience. And I'm sure, you know, you're going to have a few questions about that. And after that, I started living around the world, quite like kind of like changing with seasons and uh, et cetera. Was that the turning point for you when you went to Honduras and you found a, a different way of living? Was that the experience that really changed your mindset? Uh, well, I think if something that Survivor taught me is that you cannot beat the system if the system is against you, you know, <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, I was, I always thought it was very boring to kind of like live in one place, regardless of how interesting your job is. And for me, as a person that gets bored very fast, I found it fascinating that, you know, in this new age, especially if you work in a job that allows you to work remotely, you can just switch places and meet new cultures. And the funny thing is like, it's a small conversation that we had before is that you don't have to be rich to live around the world, but you do have to be rich to live in New York. I meet a lot of my friends that are making very big salaries at Google and other companies. And they're like, how do you travel the world? You're rich. And I go, you guys probably make more money than me. And you guys are stuck in New York because you're just stuck in that rat race. Yeah. So, and so you know, that, that also alludes to your sort of idea behind living with minimalism, which is also very contrarian to the Wall Street type of... A hundred percent. You know, this is a very good, interesting thing that you just said, because the first time I moved to live abroad, I had around 40 kilos of stuff with me. And then the second, when after that, when I moved to the next place, I was thinking like, okay, 
I, I look at all my closet, I'm like, I didn't wear 80% of it. Maybe I wore it once or twice, but in the last six months when I was living in Panama, I was like, maybe I wore like 20 or 30% of my wardrobe. So I said, okay, so I'm going to get rid of most of this stuff that I don't need. So I just donated it. And then I moved on. And then after I moved to my, my next location, I figured out like from the 20, let's say from the 100% that I had left, I was like, even from this, I don't need another 30%. And then you figure out that, you know, with like 15 kilos, you can travel the world and you have all you need. So, and so is that what you're living on? 15 kilos of, of belongings? 50 kilos of belongings. Every time I buy something, I have a rule that every time I buy something, I have to give out something. Wow. So like that, you know, like, you know, like you're only buying something if you don't need something else rather than hoarding stuff. Okay, Omer, minimalism, and there's nothing more minimal than going to an island and, and trying to survive with uh, the other cast members in the very popular show Survivor, which I'm also a very, very big, big fan of. And actually, I believe I even wrote you a note, you know, back, sure. when this, back when the show aired. Three years ago, years ago we, we were supposed to leave, but we didn't have time, man. You're too busy conquering the world. <laughs> it was years ago. And, you know, you're... You exemplify, I th- you know, you, the more seasons that I watch, it's very clear that they have very, you know, typecasts for the type of people they're looking for in different segments. And you're very clearly this, the mastermind of that season and coming in a, with a very strategic approach. Talk to me a little bit about this experience as a whole and how you approached this incredible game. So I came to this, a lot of people came to, the, especially our season was a celebrity season. So we had different kind of people there that, my misunderstanding was I had a game plan that involves strategy. Yeah. Normally, in a normal survivor, if my team has five people and your team has four people, all the four people of your team is going home because how survivor works is you have, um, it goes on a vote basis. So if one side has five, the other one has four, they're done. And that's what usually happens in the American survivor. And before you throw all of them away, you start making new kind of like relationships. The problem with a celebrity season is, and I'm going to quote Charlie Munger. I think you're familiar with that name now. Charlie Munger, the psychic of Warren Buffett. He says, show me the incentive. I'll tell you the result. And I had, what I didn't take into account is that we had some celebrities that were paid a lot of money and there was no chance that the production is going to let them go home. Interesting. Interesting. So it, it was a bit disappointing because, you know, from one point of view, I said like, you know, you come with a strategy, you're a lot smarter than everybody else because everybody's like a model, an actor or taxi driver, no insulting anybody, but, you know, still. And, but, but the funny thing is that you're eventually playing this game against the production who has, and, and the production goal is to get the highest rating possible. Yeah, you know, I think it's 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 very it's very interesting, and I'm sure you know the the way that you experience it on the island and with all the emotions that go there and all the and you know you the things we see for an hour a week, they tr- they try to you know cram down seven days worth of strategizing and talking, and then we see the bits and pieces which are alluding to this thriller like moment of the backstabbing and 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 uh, voting somebody out. What happens from the moment that you? find out you're going to go on this game. How much research do you do? How many shows do you see? Do you have a very uh, clear game plan going in there? Yeah. So, so what I did, so first of all, I was really surprised because actually the process to get into the show, I think in our case, we had around 60,000 people that tried to get on. Yep. 60,000? 60,000. They say 80,000, but I think it was like 60,000. And, and, you know, like the process itself is a process of around six months because, you know, you have to you, just... You know, like kind of going 
from 60,000 to 2,000, which is like people that you really think it's around like a two months process. Wow. And after that, you have to see a psychologist, you have to do like raw shark tests, you have to do um, personal interviews that last 10 hours. So wow. it's, it's a really long process. And when, and you know, even when you do the vaccines, they tell you, look, there's still like three people that are fighting for the same role. We're going to only let you know two weeks before. Two weeks before. So only two weeks before, you know for 100% that you're in. Oh my God. And from that moment on, is that just like cramming as much strategy as you can? 100%, 100%. So what I did is, and that was my mistake is, I kind of went over the American um, shows to see who yeah. was the best player ever. And then I started to look how we strategize. You know, what do you do? Do you go and you still, you show yourself as a strategic person? Do you hide it? Do you play the idiot? Yep. You know, do you go with this one? So I had a pretty clear strategy of how, how I'm doing things. But the problem is once you get to the island, you know, like life, all strategies go to the garbage. A hundred percent. No, I remember, I, you know, I was, I remember from, I would think from six or seven years old, when I started watching Survivor, I was just so, I, I just, I fell in love with this concept of you can strategize as much as you want, but at the end, it's a people's game. And not only is it a people's game, but in the American show, at the end, they vote after seeing the show. So they see yeah, what happens. Yeah. And so, and that just, you know, so, and you know, there was one of the players, Russell, who notoriously came in second place, I think three times uh, mm-hmm. throughout the American show. And I kept thinking like, wow, is he, and he says he's the best player in history of Survivor. Yeah. And but at the same time, he came in second three times. So was, is he really the best player? I don't know. So Omer, give me maybe like one or two, you know, f- earned secrets from this experience that, you know, most people in the world will never have because you went through this? What are some of the like, really interesting things that you found out maybe about yourself or about Survivor as a whole? Well, I just say as for Survivor as a whole, you know, and you have to take into account that if production wants to protect someone, he's going to be protected. Right. Even if God wants to throw him away from the show and production does not want to throw him from the show, you're not going to be able to do that which kind of limits the thing. For example, in our show, we had a few celebrities and how it works is let's say, um, I want to throw you, you're a celebrity and I want to throw you off the show. Okay, so they're going to do a competition. Let's say both of us have to find one key that opens a box. And we both have two. And we both have kind of like a box with keys and it goes on speed. You know, the first one that finds the right key opens the box. But what you're not going to know back home is that, you know, in one person case, the one they want to keep, you know, 90% of the keys can open the box. And in the other one, only one. Okay. So, you know, yeah. once you edit everything, it's, it's kind of like was pretty disappointing the fact that, you know, the production controls everything and all the players. Right. No, I'm, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that's very difficult. Did you find out something about yourself while being on the island? Uh, you no, know, with all the, for, a lot of, for a lot of people, it was very hard for me. Yeah. Someone that practiced meditation and calmness and... I, you know, doing ayahuasca before that quite a few times teaches you teaches you a lot of things about life. And one of this that what is that so ayahuasca? Ayahuasca. What is that? I, I, th- I think your viewers are not going to know better than you what ayahuasca is, and I think you you need to take a look at it. Ayahuasca is like the strongest um, DMT kind of like drink that you can get. It only exists in the Amazon forest and kind of takes you to an alternative consciousness. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, important. <laughs> Kind of, kind of changes your view on reality, but in a good way, in good not way. in a crazy way. So 
you know, I think a person that takes life not very seriously is not going to be affected by all this drama, mind games. For me, it was just an adventure, you know, that I went to enjoy. But, yeah, you know, I, I was surprised because I was, a lot of times I was starved and stuff like that. And then my mind started falling apart. But, you know, I, I somehow cool. picked it back. But, yeah, I think when you're starved and when there's a lot of um, drama going around you, even if you're a calm person, you start acting out of character. And I was surprised that even me at some point kind of like lost it. You know, I think I, I've been, it's been a, a dream of mine to to someday be on either the Israeli or the or the American one, mainly also to test myself and see, am I yeah. going to be able to keep my composure and, you know, my strategy thinking during those difficult times. So now Survivor is over and, and life takes you on a different path from Wall Street, right? So where, what do you do now? So what happens is um, I met this big investor and I used to go, I, I went to work with him a little bit. And he was one of the biggest Israeli value investors. And together we found this instrument in finance that is probably the best kept secret at the time that nobody has ever heard about. It's called the VXX. And what happens is this instrument is flawed. And after that, you know, after we discovered it three, four years later, a lot of hedge funds found this stuff. But, you know, this this thing, like over the long run, there's no better asset in the stock market to go short because... It constantly makes you money. So we started focusing on this and, you know, I made an, a nice amount of money. And so it's a shorting mechanism? Is it's, that- it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a mathematical instrument that okay. because of how it's mathematically built, it always loses money eventually in the long run. In the, short okay. run you, in the short run, you can lose your pants. This is why you need to know how to manage it. But overall, from 2009, it made better returns than Bitcoin, shorting this thing, just so okay. you can understand how big, how good this, this, this thing can still make you a lot of money. It's, it's like, a, I don't know how it exists, but it does. So we focused on this, you know, we made kind of a good amount of money. I made a good amount of money. And during the time, you know, like I started kind of focusing on contrarian investing. And I also realized that I achieved the amount of money that I want to have to make me happy. But my surrounding kept telling me, no, 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 no. Why? You don't want a villa? You don't want yeah. a Porsche? Are you stupid? Like, why don't we do this? Like, come on, come raise money. I had a couple of hedge funds in the States that, you know, approached me, hey, let's do this, let's do that. And, you know, I, I almost got convinced to join that. But, you know, eventually, like, I, I figured out that that's not what makes me happy. Yeah. So I kind of said, look, you know, I think the purpose in life is to have the amount of money that you're comfortable, not that you're rich. You know, well, I, think, I mean, I, I love that. I love that mindset, but it just sounds so weird to me that you're coming from this finance background, which is all about how do I optimize my, my intake, Wall Street, the persona, and yet you're here telling me I'm fine with minimalism and things that just let me live comfortably. A hundred percent. Okay, then you ask a very good question. And I think the thing is, if I still lived in New York and did not leave New York, I would not be able to change my mindset. Because you are the product of your surrounding. You know, yes. if you see everybody, hey, bro, I'm the cool, you know, I have this new model, I have this new car, I have, you also want it because you're part of it. And, you know, the entire thing that goes into your brain all the time is more, more, more. Only when you go outside, you know, the circus, you can see it in like a neutral way. And I think this is also one of the things that makes me very good at investing is I'm not part of the crowd that everybody, you know, listening to what everybody else is doing. Definitely. Kind of make up my own mind. So, so where do you see yourself then, I don't know, 10, 20 years? 
fuck, man, dead by Corona in like <laughs> half a year. So I don't know. It's like... Uh, no, I mean, where do you go from here? So if you're, I mean, you have on one hand the ambitions of, of, a, finan- of a finance guy. On the other hand, sure, you think yeah. you want to travel the world and live comfortably. How, do you see yourself continuing to balance the two? Do you go off and live in the Amazonas or go back to Wall Street? So it's a very good question what you ask. And I think from my own perspective is I go with my intuition. I, I don't have, my, my, my longest plan is around three months. I go to a country, you know, I'm lucky that I can afford to kind of like live in most places that I want to. And I can afford to just change my mind every day and move to a new place. Once again, I don't want to repeat that you don't have to be a multimillionaire to do that. It's just, you just, you know, you have to be comfortable. And you mentioned that you have friends who do that on, you know, thousands of dollars. To do that. Yeah. You mean the vacation things? Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's to we live mean. in these places. Oh, yeah. You know, there's many, like, for example, in Bali, even if I want to, I cannot spend more than $3,000. Even if I insist, I can't. I can't. You know, unless you're an idiot that likes to buy bottles and show off, you know, you can't spend that money, you know, and it's just like crazy. Like, living, I used to live in Colombia, you know, Panama, Bali. And, you know, you go with your intuition. When your intuition, if you, my intuition will tell me, okay, this now it's time to live here for the next 10 years, I will do that. If my intuition tells me it's time to live after three months, I will leave. I think your intuition is your, the smartest person you should listen to. You know, it's your higher self talking to yeah. you. Is that, is, does it get lonely sometimes? Um, it does. I won't lie. It does get lonely. And the, but the problem is then it gets lonely and then I go back to my, you know, my base, which where I have a lot of friends, if it's Berlin, if it's New York, if it's Tel Aviv, yeah. and then the monotony just kills me. So I prefer to be lonely than live a monotonous life, you know? But, but the thing is like, now the world is changing and there's this thing phenomena called digital nomads. Yeah. And there's a lot of people like me that, you know, yes. live across the world, you know, they're kind of like work online and et cetera. So it's, so really, a lot of other people are doing it. So you find a community of people that understand you and they're in the same situation. Yeah, I actually, so, I know people who are starting, who are working on building these communal living spots in like Thailand and Bali and all these areas for digital nomads that are equipped yeah. with, with Wi-Fi and electricity and everything, but they're also very, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Selena, I don't know if you heard about that group, Selena, which is a couple of group of Israelis that I met in Panama. And they started from one apartment, one stuff like that. And now they raised money on a base of like $1.6 billion. Yes. So, you know? yes, definitely crazy. Omar, this was fascinating. But before we go, I have to put you on the spot uh, one last time. And I'd love to know three words that you would describe yourself as. And I'm especially curious to hear uh, your response to this. Open-minded. And if you're open-minded, you have to go to Berlin. Love the good life. And if you love the good life, you have to go to Bali. And I don't know. Excited. I think fearless. And I think if, if all of you, whoever does meditation, higher level meditation and stuff like that, it, it's not that like a fearless, it's fearless from a point of view that you understand that death is just another beginning. So there's really nothing to worry about. So do I do meditation? And then... How often do you do it? Meditation? Uh, every day. Wow. For how long? Yeah. Around half an hour. Wow. An hour. Uh, highly recommended. I've been doing it for 10, 15 minutes through Headspace. I'm still getting yeah. into it. 
So I have, I have remind me, I have a lot of good stuff to give you. Fantastic. I, I've heard of Vipassana. A lot of people have been telling me about Vipassana. I think you are going to be more fascinated with the OBEs, which is out-of-body experiences. <laughs> but we can discuss this another We're going to have to talk about that after the show. Done. Omer, thank you. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank and you. And we'll be in touch, brother. Great. All right.